0: While I was away last weekend, I was reading about a gentleman who uh, had become a believer and part of his calling was to go back into his workplace. He was an executive in a business and he went back into his business and he said, I'd like to lead a Bible study for executives Of major companies. And this man lived in a a pretty prominent city in the United States. And so he talked to some of the men uh, in his type of position with other companies. And he said, Could we gather together once a week for Bible study? And they said, Sure. And so this, this believer started to lead these people in Bible study. And one morning, one of the executives from a huge company in the United States gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he and he said Man, he said, this is incredible. And so he he started reading his Bible, and he started studying, and he came back to the small group, and he said, I got a problem. If I begin to live my life according to these words from God's word, then I'm going to have to change how I do business. I'm going to have to change my attitude at work. And at some point, I have to tell people that are work co-workers with me or maybe even under me i've got to tell them what happened to me and he said i i'm going to keep this a secret and so after several months of living and reading god's word he began to change without even knowing it on the outside he began to handle people different and talk to people different and speak to people differently And after some time, as he was having those conversations, people began to talk and say, what's happened? What's changed? There was a whisper going on. And he went back to the group again. He said, guys, people have figured it out. I can't be a secret anymore. And the Bible study leader said to him, he said, friend, it's impossible for you to have Jesus living within you without Jesus leaking out of you. It's impossible for you to claim Jesus Christ living in you without at some point that just spewing out of you, just pouring out of you onto other people. You can't continue to live like that. As we've been walking through First Peter now for eight weeks, it's our, eight weeks, our eighth week in First Peter, and believe it or not, we, we've still got a month to go in examining First Peter leading us into the Christmas season. And I'm not just preaching this information to you. I'm not just sharing with you so that you can say, Man, we did a great study on Sunday morning. Whew, it was awesome, or go, oh man, I can't believe we're finally done with First Peter, whatever your take is on that, for you at the end to go, that was a lot of great information. Now we've we've been spending time, sometimes painfully, walking through First Peter. Because what Peter was saying to the early church was, I know that you're living in difficult times. I know that some people object to your teaching. I know that culture doesn't know how to handle when you behave in a different way. And so I want to equip you. I want to teach you. I want to train you. I want to remind you how you live in a broken, sinful world. And so we've been walking through this because this is where we stand today. We stand in a place where our beliefs, those who are followers of Christ, are in great contrast to the world. It's not well accepted. It's it's not something that people around our country are going, yes, we're going to depend on the followers of Jesus in this moment. No. And so I, I hope that these last two months that we've been kind of spearheading and walking through First Peter and some of you have been studying First Peter outside of this room together and you've been walking through that. My hope is that it transforms you so that at some point in our study, the light bulb goes off and you say, oh, I can't have Jesus within me without Jesus pouring out of me. And that these words invade your life in such a way That you say it's impossible to have Jesus living within me without him leaking out of me. This morning we're going to continue in 1 Peter. We're going to do so, we're going to find ourselves in just a few minutes in 1 Peter chapter 13. I, I hear no turning of pages. I hope that means you were just able to flip open to 1 Peter because you kind of knew we were going to be there. First Peter, he's interacting. Peter's giving guidance to the early church and he's saying, hey, this is a part of how you exist in culture, how you live in culture, what you do in culture, what you don't do in culture, how you exist as a believer, how you impact the communities that you're located in because there are multiple people here being addressed by Peter. How do you live in these regions as a follower of Jesus? Last week, Bob James covered verses 8 through 12, but Verse 10 through 12, we looked at this Wednesday night, and I can't really embark on verse 13 through 17 without at least very quickly rereading verse 10 through 12. He says in verse 10 For whoever desires to love life and see good days, for whoever desires to love life and see good days. Quick question. This Wednesday night it was 100%. I just want to see if we're consistent this morning. Uh, who in this room desires to love life and see good days? If there's somebody asleep beside you, this is a good time to nudge them and go, You're supposed to raise your hand right here, right? You see, there's no one in this room that if you're willing in church to raise your hand to go, Nah, I don't really want that. We, we want that. He's saying, how do we have that? Early church, how do you have that in, the, in a type of persecution and difficulty? He goes on to give them a recipe for that. He says, whoever lo- desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Real quick, tame your tongue, don't lie, turn away from evil, do good, seek peace. There's nothing on that list that we go, wow, I don't want to do any of those either, right? And so far, live. Good days, experience good days, and experience life. Yeah, I want that. So what do I got to do? Don't lie, turn away from evil, do good, seek peace. Got it. But then we enter into our world, don't we? Our sinfulness and our selfishness begins to creep in, and we begin to think that we have the solution for how to have good days, that we have a way and to impart our desires on how to love life. Peter's saying, listen, here's what I'm telling you guys. You want to experience and love life? You want to experience good days? I got it for you. Don't lie. Tame your tongue. Turn away from evil. Do good. Seek peace. You guys have a great day. We'll see you next Sunday. All right? But he doesn't leave it there. Because he does give them a side of this that we need to comprehend this morning. As he continues in verse 13. He says, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. The first verse, part of verse 13, it says, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? What's the theme here for Peter? Fall in love with goodness, fall in love with goodness, be a zealot for things of God, unity, verse 8, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, humility, be a zealot by taking care of your words, don't lie, don't run from evil, do good, seek peace, It's kind of important that we, we talk about what is a zealot this morning, because we don't usually call people zealots, all right, Now, today, if you call somebody a zealot, they may step back and go, you called me what? All right. Uh, But every one of us are zealous about something. Now, zealots in this time period were a specific group of people that were known within the early Jewish tradition. They were they were just bent on pursuing the law of Moses. And they, they didn't want any Roman influence. They didn't want anybody else. And so there was a political group called the Zealots. But here, this is a lowercase Zealots. And he's examining the early church. And he says, listen, be, a zealous for, be zealous for what is good. You're zealous. You are passionate. And you are excited about certain things in life. And you will tell other people about it. And you will proclaim it. And you will wear it. And you will announce it. You're a zealot. I'm a zealot. Now, I've hung around some of you. And here's what you're zealot about, all right? Zealous about. You're zealous for hunting right now, some of you. I'm speaking to people who aren't here this morning, all right? (laughs) All right? You're in a tree stand this morning. You're hoping for early season, right? All right. You are zealous for hunting. Some of you are zealous for travel. Man, you just love to see the world. I love that part as well. Some of you are zealous about your motorcycles. And you're not here either because you're hitting the road this morning. You're on the Blue Ridge Parkway because you are zealous for riding your motorcycle. You're zealous for exercise. And some of you are just absolutely Locked in, you are passionate about exercise. You're zealous musicians. You're zealous shoppers, or finding different ways to cut money when you shop. You're you're zealous in that. You're zealous regarding, or full of zeal regarding your politics. You know how hard it is to use the proper tense of zeal, zealot and zealous. I mean, I was reading through this this morning. I thought there's no way we're going to get zeal right this morning. All right. You're zealous about your favorite teams. Woo! All right. We're going to skip right over that one, all right? You're zealous about technology. Some of you are zealot Netflix watchers, all right? You binge watch, all right? And you are zealous about it. You've got the show of the week. You watch the whole eight years of it in one week. You're zealous about it, right? right. So I I wavered back and forth on whether to do this in church or just have you do it privately, but I'm going to do it publicly, all right? I want you to turn to somebody around you and say, I am zealous for, and I want you to fill in the blank, all right? So you may have to go, okay, not that one. I'll tell them the other one, all right? I'm zealous for, ready? One, two, three, I'm zealous for. Tell somebody what you're zealous for. Man, I think I saw one husband in the room go, baby, I'm zealous for you. (laughs) Big points, big points, all right? Cheaters. But here's a question. Am I willing to become zealous for doing good? This is what Peter's asking of the church. Are you you willing to become zealous for doing good? And not just doing good, doing good when good is not returned. Are you zealous, speaking to the church, are you zealous, are you passionate about pursuing what is right? He says, be in love with goodness. When goodness becomes your delight when goodness becomes your joy, when goodness becomes your goal, when all of a sudden the wrong things that we're zealous for begin to lose their fascination, then we can know we're pursuing goodness. But Peter doesn't leave us here. He says, now, some of you are zealous and should be zealous about doing good. But even, he says in verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, the world, non-believers, those who don't follow Christ, the enemy, the Roman government at that point. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Now he, he gives the other side of this, Peter does. And in no way am I saying that, that verse, all the way back up in verse 10, that whoever desires to love life and see good days, that if you become zealous for good, that everything in life is gonna be smooth. That's not what he's presenting here. He's saying, listen, if you pursue good, If you desire and have a zeal for goodness, then when the difficulties come, when those who don't agree with you strike back at you, even in those moments, you have a way to defend yourself. Even in those moments, you have a way in the middle of persecution to know there's no real grounds for this attack. There's no real way for, for them to look on something in my life and misrepresent it and turn it back onto myself and say, oh, how much easier would it be if the political scene that we're about and a part of right now, if they navigated themselves through these verses? What if the campaign promises were these? For any politician in any level. I will pursue goodness. I will not lie. All of a sudden you go, oh no, he's a liar, right? <laughs> I will seek peace. I will do good even if I suffer. I will run from evil. I will strive for unity, display sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and pursue Humility. Now see, some of you are going, Pastor, it'll never happen. It It just won't happen that way. But in my mind, it sure sounds nice. And then as I was thinking about how I could project goodness onto other people, the Holy Spirit that we're singing about this morning landed right back in my lap and went, hey, why don't you not think about how somebody else should exemplify goodness Why don't you look at yourself? What if the the lifelong promises for me or for you were, I will seek peace with my immediate family. I will respond with goodness when I'm mistreated. I will strive for unity. To display sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and pursue pursue humility. See, it's easy for us to project what we think other people should do regard to goodness. But when we turn these scriptures and we lay them back upon ourselves, as Peter is doing, he's saying, Listen, you examine yourself here, early church. You examine yourselves, followers of Christ. 2016, we, we would all acknowledge in this room, again, if I ask for you to raise your hands, I think we would all raise our hands and say, man, our community, our countries, our states, man, they radically need to be redirected spiritually, emotionally, socially. And you know what entity was established to make changes in our culture and in our communities? You're sitting in it. The local church, established by Jesus Christ for the purpose of shaping, in this sense, Peter's saying, hey, listen, you guys are placed in four or five different places. You've got a community to shape. You've got people to share the grace of Jesus Christ. You need to be prepared, and you need to be prepared, prepared with goodness. You may be zealous about a lot of things, but you have an opportunity to make a difference in your own community, not somewhere else, not out of town, but right here. The church, you and I as individual believers, are given to this place to transform this place. To transform Davidson County, Guilford County, Randolph County, whatever county you're coming driving in from this morning. But Peter continues, he says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy but but in your hearts honor Christ as holy so so where does this goodness where is it rooted in it's not rooted in our goodness it's not rooted in who we are it's rooted in Jesus Christ so keep that as your foundation and then he says always being prepared to make a difference to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect have a good conscience So that when you are slandered, notice, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. A couple things for us to see this morning about this hope. First of all, he says, he refers to back in 16 and 17. He says, prepared to defend the reason for our hope. Again, back in chapter one, verse 21, it seems like a long time ago, six, seven weeks ago, in verse 21, we looked at that our hope is found in Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 21, he says that believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. We have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ that impacts our eternal that pours out onto our external and changes our eternal. All that transpires, that's the hope that we have. The hope that we have that he's speaking of, he says, so at some point when you're doing good, somebody's just going to ask, so how do you have hope? How do you have any faith in what's going on today? What's going on in your life? Why are you zealous for good? And you can say, let me tell you the reason for my hope. My hope is in Jesus Christ, not in this world. And then he says, how do we handle ourselves in that time? He says, you do so with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, when people don't agree with you, when people push back on the message, when people begin to ask difficult questions about how God's word impacts your daily life, when those moments happen, When they revile your good behavior, that you may be able to revile your good, those who revile your good behavior in Christ, what's going to happen? They're going to be put to shame. Here's another formula for how we exist in this culture. Be prepared to give a defense. That word there is apologia. How do we defend our faith? Apologetics is how we, that word filters down into our vocabulary. How do we defend? How do we explain? How do we talk about our faith? Be prepared to defend your faith and hope in Jesus Christ. Speak the truth. Do so with an attitude of respect and gentleness. Gentleness, as we looked this past summer in week eight of our element series, gentleness is the power to crush, yet the ability to control. To hold back that power that we have. To, in those conversations, to know we have all the ammunition and all the scripture memorized and all the things that we need to do to defend our faith. But in those moments, we handle ourselves with respect and with gentleness. For the purpose that if you're ever slandered, those who mock you or insult you, there's an undeniable defense. If you watch the news, there's little time right now where we see truth spoken in these ways. We live in a world where we speak of our faith and people speak of their faith publicly. There are moments now where clearly the opposition is rising and we must be known as what Peter is advising the early church, he says, listen, be zealous for good, for unity, for brotherly love, for all those things that I'm telling you about. Don't lie. Don't be deceitful. Watch your tongue. Watch your behavior. Be a part of this. Be zealous for good, so that when someone asks you about this hope that you have in Jesus Christ, you can, with gentleness and respect and a good conscience, you could share with them so that later on, when somebody points their finger at you and says, oh, you're one of those people, Your behavior and your pursuit of good will silence the arguments. That's counterculture. Our culture tells us to what? To, To bow up and get in somebody's face and let me, let you, I'll let you have it. I'll tell you about this. Instead, he says, be prepared with gentleness, with respect, with humility with this attitude, with a good conscience, with good behavior in Christ, so that when people don't agree with you, and they may point a finger, in the end, their disdain for your faith is put to shame. Not because of how good you could argue, but how well you choose to live. The New Testament did not separate the inner from the outer the private from the public and neither can we these verses this morning are one more reminder from peter to say if you have the hope of jesus living within you then jesus has got to start leaking out of you and our communities desperately need to see jesus and we can't simply say well maybe one day i'll speak of my faith maybe one day and the world continues to say keep your faith to yourself keep it silent just it's got to come out as we grow in christ this gentleness in scripture goes on to tell us in another place in second timothy chapter 2 verse 24 it says this about gentleness and the lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone able to teach patiently enduring evil correcting his opponents correcting his opponents with gentleness god may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will you notice the product of gentleness and respect It leads to repentance. It desires unity. It's an alternate to to anger. And it delivers truth in a way that people can respond. Are we willing to be zealous in our pursuit of goodness in order to lead others to Jesus Christ? I'm zealous about a lot of things. You hang around me long enough to know... I don't do much of anything that I'm not zealous about. And you are exactly the same. But will we be zealous about the thing that draws people to conversations about Jesus? Being zealous for good. Let's pray.